Welcome to year two of Chan with a Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice in easy, actionable steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you can stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. And I'm your host, Max Chan. If you are currently a professional looking to land your next opportunity or looking for some advice and guidance on how to get to the next level of your career, then come join my private Facebook group, Career Advice with Chan with a Plan. I'll leave a link in the show notes to help you find the group easier for you to join. As we are entering the start of the new year, a lot of professionals out there want to make career changes to help them grow, whether it's trying to land a promotion at their current company or looking for another opportunity elsewhere in order to help them achieve their career goals. However, the main problem a lot of professionals encounter is that they make decisions without properly evaluating them first. As a result of this, what tends to happen is that they make a decision on impulse and end up regretting it later. So I want to help you make better decisions in 2022. So I have invited Chris Templeton, who has developed a three question model framework to help you evaluate and make better decisions for this year and beyond. So a little bit about Chris before we get into the conversation. He is the founder of Oh, The Stories We Tell, and he began developing the Oh, The Stories We Tell model in 2003. He was driven to create this model from having a strong desire to more fully understand the dynamics of his personal and professional relationships and has been exploring and developing the model ever since. So let's get into my discussion with Chris on how to use his three-question model framework in order to help you make better career decisions. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Going well, Max. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. How's your month of November so far? It has been a really good month. I'm in month three of really trying to bring this uh, this model that I've developed in, in to the world and been doing a lot of podcasts and uh, super, super, super pleased about how well it's being received. And that's a great segue to our conversation today to discuss that model, right? The three-question model? Works for me. <laughs> Sounds good. So why don't you uh, provide an overview of what the model is and how did you come up with it? Sure. So I am in my early 60s. So about in 2003, I read a book called The Power of Now uh, by a guy named Eckhart Tolle. And one of the things that really hit me about it was that uh, he said, you know, we are all really good at driving ourselves crazy in certain parts of our lives. And that really hit me. Like at first I didn't get it like, well, no, that's not me. That's my work, my family relationships, those things that I struggle with. It's all because of what's going on outside of me. And what you become really, really clear about very, very quickly is, you know, there are those things outside of you that can drive you a little crazy, but we are masters at making it magnitudes of order worse. <laughs> and and so it just really hit me. And the thing that I walked away with was, 
this, I came up with three questions and then a model that results from that. And the three questions are pretty simple. It's what's the story I'm telling? And when I ask about story, what I'm talking about is anything that I'm thinking or visualizing about myself or the world around me. And so that's the first question. And of course, as it relates to what we're talking about today, isn't one of the places where we just have the worst stories about work and for really good reasons. Not saying that they haven't earned their, their way into our book of horrible stories, but you know, it is really a place that we struggle. And so the second question was and is, is this story serving me in this moment? Like in this moment, in this moment, in this moment, right here now is the story I'm telling, what I'm thinking, what I'm visualizing. Is it serving me? And you know, Max, everybody can answer that question mm, probably initially 90% of the time correctly. And as you practice at this, 95, 99, we just kind of know if our thinking is serving us or not. And then the third question is, if, if it's not serving me, is there a more authentic story that I can tell? And this is really super critical, especially when it comes to work, because we are so good at kind of getting into a group of people that are complaining about this or that, and all of a sudden we're building this little thing into a monster so often. And then we find out, oh my God, that's not what, what we thought it was. Oh, I'm so embarrassed or whatever the case may be. So having these three questions sounds really, really simple. And I think that's really the beauty of it is that in working through this and creating the model that I have, I've always been about how do I make this something that I can easily apply here and now and not have to adopt a new belief system, you know, uh, that sort of thing, but really know and become more self-aware of how I'm creating the story around what's going on inside me and around me. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. And that's a good transition into how this model applies to people's careers. Because as you may be aware, there's this thing called the great resignation. And a lot of people are quitting their jobs right now to find better purpose or to find their passion. So from what you said, I believe that they're not, when they were currently working where they were, they weren't right. telling the story that they want to tell to other people. So there was that disconnect, right? Well, on both sides, right? I mean, I think that there's there's the, the one side, which is the employee's side, who uh, in, in many cases are being treated in ways that they don't feel serves them. And um, on the other side, you know, leadership that has a poor story about employees. And I think one of the things, one of the reasons I'm really pleased to be doing this today is because when you recognize that the reason, as far as I can tell, that people are leaving their jobs in droves is they, with the pandemic, they got to a place where they were like, oh my God, number one, I, I, I can actually have a fulfilling home life, even in the face of a pandemic, and I don't need to be at work, and I can still do a good job, in a lot of cases, a better job than I was at work. And so on top of that, if you feel like leadership and management don't understand you or, or take you for granted or just see you as a cog in the wheel, 
you know, now more than ever, management and leadership have got to recognize that, yes, you need to pay your people well, but it's a whole lot more than that. And there's so many things as leadership and management that we can do to provide more meaning in people's jobs. And so, um, you know, I think what we're going to see is hopefully businesses are going to have to say more and more often, what do we do to provide more meaning, like where people want to be at work? And really look at that. And right now, um, it's clear to me that the reason, the biggest reason that we're having this resignation after the pandemic is people are like, you know what? I don't need to be treated that way. I don't, I want to feel like I'm, I have agency in what I'm doing and not being micromanaged. Makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point, right? Because pre-COVID, a lot of companies still expected you to come in the office five days a week. I know some were already doing or testing a hybrid model, but majority of right. companies were doing the five days a week in the office. So there was that sense of control that the managers and companies wanted. But then due to COVID, the government said, I, I don't care if you want them at the office, we can't have people at the office right now due to the pandemic. And then there was all this flexibility. And now some of these, uh, some of these companies are trying to make it back to like five days or majority of the time at the office. And a lot of these employees are not happy with this because now they're going back to the old micromanagement culture that they wanted to stay away from and they got that freedom from the pandemic. So that's probably one of the reasons why they're also leaving these companies to find someone that truly appreciates them for their work, not just for them just sitting in a chair for eight hours. And and so what's really fascinating to me about the work that I'm doing is it's let's just take a step back and look at the kind of the next stage of the model, because I think it will bring a lot of clarity, both to people that are employees and employers, managers and leadership. And, and so taking a step back, these three questions, if you were to take a piece of paper, turn it on its side into landscape mode, and you put on the top left corner, the first question, what's the story I'm telling? And then on the left side, middle of the page, is this story serving me in this moment? And then at the bottom left, it would be, is there a more authentic story I can tell? So these sound incredibly simplistic, and they are, but there's a whole lot of meat that, that's on that bone. And so if what you do is you draw from question two to the right across the page a horizontal line, in my model, above that line, we say if, if question two, if what I'm telling myself isn't serving me in this moment, it goes above the line and I call that little me land. Like that's where we're cranky, we're upset, we feel fearful, we feel victimized, judged, all that stuff lands above the line. If I'm telling a story that serves me, which is great, and I probably don't need to go to the third question, right? But that goes below the line. And that's where I'm solution oriented, I'm open, I'm curious, I'm looking to uh, I'm in a place where I feel centered and grounded. Well, think about it. As a manager or as a leader of a, a business, I don't want, although we don't recognize, and that's why I think this is so powerful, I don't want my people or me as a manager or a leader to be spending the majority of my time above the line in little me land. And so if what I begin to do is say, okay, 
if I'm a leader or a manager and I'm frustrated with my employees and, and, you know, my employees just don't get it right and why can't they, why don't they understand? I mean, there's a litany of things that are kind of default stories in business in the United States and probably around the globe. When I realize that those stories about my employees aren't serving me as a manager or a leader, then I take the step back and I'm like, wait a minute, what are the things that I can do to tell a story that, that serves everybody? And so it's, this is not, and I want to be super clear about this. This is not positive thinking. This is what are the things that I'm struggling with, with my employees and what can I do? What's my role in solving that and giving my employees a way to deal with the issues that I'm struggling with effectively. So they don't understand payroll or they don't understand all the different things that go into this business. If I take the time to start addressing those issues, guess what happens with my employees? They start moving below the line because now I'm more open as a leader and a manager. I'm talking about the things that are important to me, that are important to them. I'm giving them solid feedback and it's just a better, better way to, to work. So that's kind of the leadership side. On the employee side, it's the same thing. It's just different stories. Like, I don't understand why management is doing it this way and why don't they do this and why don't they take better care of me and blah, blah, blah. And so what happens is so much of that story um, for both, it doesn't matter whether you're a manager or an employee, a leader or not, is that I feel like a victim. I, these stories generate my victimization. And so when I start to look at whatever I'm struggling with, with management from an employee standpoint, I have the ability to then, when I go to authentic mode, I also become solution oriented. I let go of the fear. I become more curious. And so all of a sudden I'm in a place where I'm able to say, you know, I would really like to see things be different. And I, I really feel like I have something to contribute. And when I look at things authentically, I know there are ways for me to communicate authentically what I think is important. So much of what we're stuck with, Max, is thinking that we need to solve problems um, above the line. You know, I need to come at the problem like I'm a victim and, and you know, I, I feel powerless and that sort of thing. And so when we start to move to more of a solution orientation, uh, things just change dramatically. So that's kind of the, the nutshell of the model and, and why it's so important. Is that ringing true for you? Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of like authenticity, I think it goes back to we humans tend to make problems more complicated than they are. I think it's more <laughs> about finding the fundamentals uh, and just fixing the fundamentals in order to get to what you want, right? I I, I really do think you're you're right on the money. I, you know, it, it is. Boy, are we good at <laughs> boy are we good at mucking things up, aren't we? And and so that's part of the thing. You know, one of the thing one of my favorite quotes is from a guy named Viktor Frankl, who was a, um, a psychiatrist in, in the early 1900s, and he ended up in uh, the concentration camps in Germany. And he saw some of the most brutal conditions anybody could imagine 
And he also saw some of the most graceful things that, that you could imagine. Somebody saving a piece of bread for somebody else because it was going to save their lives. He saw people who just gave up. But through it all, he was able to retain meaning in his life. And so one of the he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And my favorite quote is, between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And the thing that's so important about this is we, when we're in victim mode, there is no space between stimulus and response. When I take the time to ask these questions, what's the story? Is it serving me in this moment? And is there a more authentic story? I'm creating space. And in that space, I'm also almost without a doubt moving myself south into the authentic place and where I'm more able to get to the fundamentals, get to the basics, to get all the baggage that I've created in this story about why management is the worst ever and blah, 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 and and really move to a place where I can make solid decisions. You know what? I really want to help my company do better, but if they're not willing to help, let me help, then I need to move on. And that's great. But at least I can say, you know, I went through a process where I felt like I gave it my all as opposed to, you know, the kind of employee who quits one job after another, another, and it's always management's fault, but no matter where they go, there they are. <laughs> and, and true, true for leadership too, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Cause like I know there's job hoppers out there that are job hopping for more money, but I think there's another underlying thing in terms of like they don't like this company, so they're gonna go somewhere else, right? Uh, and this also goes back to what you said, the the victim mentality. Like I, I always say, like there's two ways to look at the situation that happens to you: either you be proactive about it or you play victim, right? And and most people tend to play victim because they don't want to be responsible. And you know what? I I, I think that's true to a certain extent, but I also just think that people don't understand their role in coloring what they're seeing. Like, you know, when you are in little me land, you either are putting on dark shades and, and turning on the dark switch, putting that cloud over you, or you're on the very positive side of that where everything's great until it isn't. And then, you know, then all hell breaks loose. And so when you are in a position where you're taking the time to take a step back and look at how you can have agency and not be that victim, it changes your world. And it and the other thing that's so fascinating to me is it also changes the world of people around you. Like when you start to recognize, oh my God, I can tell a more authentic story, people gravitate to that in a big, big way. You made a good point, right? Because when I was younger, I thought like, it's best to try to fit in. But I think the other way, the better approach is to, you build yourself in a way that you attract people that you want to attract, right? Instead of trying to fit in, you're building yourself to attract the right people. Well, and and not only that, when you're doing a good job of being, of living this, like I'm when I'm authentic to myself, I'm also a leader, just hands down right out the gate. All of a sudden people are like, and I'm doing it for reasons that really, feel authentic to me, that feel meaningful. Like when I get to be this way with this practice of, you know, being more authentic and letting go of the stories that aren't serving me, um, I'm leading myself, but I'm also in a place where I'm doing a, just a much better job of 
creating a space that people are attracted to. So even if you're an individual contributor, you know, you can have such a huge impact on the people around you just by being more authentic. And I think the thing that we all complain about incessantly is how managers don't trust us. They don't feel like they feel like the best way to get the most out of us is to micromanage us, that sort of thing. And we all know that we all know that it doesn't work, but for some reason we kind of stick with it, don't we? Yeah, it seems like there's a studies that show that micromanaging doesn't work, but everybody still does it. Or at least some of the more newer managers that don't know how to manage, they tend to micromanage at the start. And then with experience, they tend to ease off of it, right? But it goes back to, we know that it doesn't work, but people still do it because I'm assuming that that's what they think would work, even though we know it doesn't work. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's, it's very confusing how like- No, it, yeah. it's, it's, you're right on the money. And, and here's the thing, and, and I, don't, I assume this is global, but I don't know. For America, it for sure is the issue is, is we have a cultural story that leadership and management have a tendency to be bad. We also have grown up in ways where what we've done is when somebody's upset with me, my default response that doesn't serve me is to respond in kind. And, and so if we go back to that idea of creating space between stimulus and response, where I'm like, wait, wait a minute, am I seeing the whole story? Now, one of the things that fascinates me is above the model, the, the underlying emotion is fear. Like everything, when I'm above the line in little me land, I am all, everything is grounded in fear. What's fascinating to me, I read a definition of the opposite of fear, of fear is curiosity. And so, you know, what we have this tendency to do as managers is to think that we know better than our employees. And we might in certain cases and in other cases we may not, but we behave in a way that we've understood that's how, well, that's just what you do if you're a manager. And and so nobody's taken the time, and this is so crucially important to me and crucially important right now with this great resignation, is management needs to understand that managing above the line is going to really hurt you more than ever because people just aren't going to put up with it. And the thing that's so fascinating to me is if we help managers to manage from below the line, all of a sudden you've got employees who love what they do. They can, it can be menial tasks, but if they feel appreciated, if they feel heard, if they feel like they have agency, that they, they have responsibility and ownership on what they're doing, those are the things I guarantee you the places that aren't losing employees are, are places where the employees feel like they are partners with leadership as opposed to minions. You with me? Yeah, I 100% agree, right? Because I think that's why some people like startup culture because they're collaborating, working with the founders compared to like a larger company where you feel like a cog in the wheel. Right. And, and you know, this is, this is the really tough part. And I, and, and, I don't pretend to know what the answer is other than, you know, I think that in larger corporations, what you have to do is part of the problem with corporations is that, you know, we bog ourselves down with rules and regulations, policies and procedures and HR. Not that those things aren't important, but we have a tendency to 
create these rules and regulations and policies for the lowest common denominator. And we write them that way. And then what we do is we box ourselves in so that nobody feels that they have any room to contribute in a way that serves them. And so, you know, one of the things that will be very interesting in my mind is to see how corporations that kind of get, oh my gosh, we have really got to change at the core of how we operate with our people. I I think it's going to be about decentralization. I think it's going to be about more autonomy within divisions and subdivisions of the company um, where I feel like, yeah, there's some good solid boundaries, but I don't feel so boxed in because they're trying to deal with Joe who absolutely is vitriolic, should not be working for us. And so they've applied the rules that'll take care of Joe to everybody. And now we're all boxed in and we are like, give me a pandemic and a reason to split and I am out. Exactly. I think it goes back to like, like people want freedom and autonomy to do their work. There's probably like VPs or directors out there that making a lot of money have like good positions at these companies, but they feel with all these processes, they don't really have the creative freedom to really contribute. So they, they feel um, anxious and depressed, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, the, it's a great, really great point, Max, because here's the other thing that happens. When I start living my life and or as a business, I start running my business from below the line in an authentic place, meaning and purpose just show up. They just do. When people are working together, they're working for a common task, they're, they're getting good, solid feedback. You know, this is, uh, I said earlier that this is not about positive thinking. Like below the line, I'm still holding people accountable. I'm just not a jerk about it, right? I'm, I'm like, Max, dude, you've got to figure out what happened on that project and we got to make sure that we don't do that again. And how can we learn from it? Like, I, I need that quote unquote negative feedback, but I need it in a way that's palatable. And, and so when I'm below the line, I'm dealing with, you know, the full set of circumstances, I'm dealing with the negative so much more effectively than I am when I'm above the line. And we, and you know, there's nobody that's listening to this that can't relate to it and go, Oh my God, no kidding. Right. And managers and leaders who have you know, not had that space between stimulus and response and go into their default, you know, employees are a pain in the butt and, uh, you know, let's, let's just get more robots. <laughs> but that's, that just doesn't serve anybody. Yeah. Cause again, like people run companies, right? It's not, like you said, robots are running companies. It's people that run companies, right? So you have to collaborate and communicate with these people in order to achieve the greater goal. And the thing is, is, you know, and there's little things, there's one of the things I forget a lot is, you know, for me, this is so much about languaging. Like I want those managers to say, instead of, I have to do this, God, I really want to partner with my employees. I want my employees, to, I want to make my employees look great. And I, as a result, will, they'll make me look great as a manager. Like this is such a a healthier and more satisfying way for us all to work together. And, you know, when you have that language and you're not kind of, you know, above the line, one of the things that I talk about a lot is it's very black and white thinking when you're above the line, when you're below the line, it's all gray. It's like, well, let's look at this perspective. Let's look at that perspective. Jim, what do you think? Mary, what do you think? Okay. Let's see what we can synthesize from that. 
it's such a, a more gratifying way to do work. So yeah, I, I, we're on the same page for sure. Like the old school mentality of leadership is I tell you what to do and you do it. But now it seems to be more of the collaboration side, like collaborative uh, leadership, right? Or a servant leadership. I think that's the term. I, I love servant. The, I don't know the, the term specifically, but I like it right off the bat. I, I You know, look, if I'm a really good leader, I've felt like this for years. If I'm a really, really good leader, I am a really good follower in the sense that I task my people to do stuff. I create vision for them uh, that we all, I create a shared vision. We all start moving. But if I'm a really good leader, I let my people run. I let my people make mistakes. I have them clean up their own mistakes. I make sure that we learn from it. And, and servant leadership is about that. It's about creating that space. I mean, and really, when you think about it, look, like I said earlier, I, I want everybody, for the most part, to be below the line working together, where the, it's authentic, where they're serving each other, where they feel like as a whole, they're doing so much more than they could possibly do, um, you know, under the old style of management where, our, like you said, you know, I just tell you what to do and you do it. But it's a hard change. Like it, it, it and that's the thing. It's going to take practice. You're going to have to figure out as a leader and a manager how you're going to do this. You're going to have to help your people to do the same thing. I mean, think about how long is it going to take for employees to trust you, especially if you've had uh, a, a focus of being, you know, a micromanager who doesn't trust your people. If you can ever turn that around, here's the thing that blows my mind. If I can turn that behavior around, I'm going to have employees who went from, I can't stand this place to, oh my God, how did this happen? How am I having such a meaningful work and such great relationships all the way around? But boy, oh boy, like you said, that is all about servant leadership, recognizing that if I serve my people, they're most likely to serve me in a way that makes just a huge difference, eh? Yeah, for sure. And a lot of young professionals, uh, they come out of school thinking that it's the work that matters, but it's about the people. It's about building the relationships in these companies because a lot of these companies, you're going to work cross-functionally, whether you're in marketing, then you have to work with IT or finance or other types of marketing teams. If it's a larger organization, at the end of the day, you have to work with people. It's not just about the work, right? So it's so essential to have that servant mindset to build good relationships because that's what's going to elevate you in that company and in your career. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, and it's healthier, it feels better. It's more, you know, it, it's, it's just more rewarding all the way around. And, and, you know, that's the other thing we haven't talked about, but, you know, from the standpoint of, uh, of leadership and management, one of the things that they need to do ASAP is get rid of people that aren't that are vitriolic and not uh, that are poison to the rest of the the water well, right? We've got to have management who says, you know what? Our primary focus is that we have employees that enjoy being with each other when they're here at work. Like, oh my gosh, you think about, and, and you said, you know, it, it's not about the, it, it's about the work, but it's also about the relationships. Let me tell you, you know, I can take the most meaningful work in the world and crush it with crappy management. And <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's, it is about wanting to do good work, 
But boy, oh boy, if it's not happening in an environment that I thrive in, uh, it's always going to be tougher and a whole lot less rewarding, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, as the saying goes, people leave people, not companies, right? Or people leave managers, not companies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Exactly right. And, and you know, I just, I want, I want to see people really thrive and I, and I know that there's a path to it. And, uh, and I know now more than ever, businesses are going to have to take a whole new approach to how they work with people so that they can retain them and recognizing that it's about in large part crappy management that I've got to really grow and thrive that that's more important than ever isn't it yeah absolutely because again people are no longer wanting to put up with uh, restrictions right that's why when uh, things are going back to normal if these uh, companies are telling people to go back to the office daily that they're just going to start looking somewhere else right because they're not going to put up with anymore Right, exactly, and you know what? It's about flexibility too. It's and and boundaries. Like I don't have any problem with, uh, you know, leadership saying, "Hey, here are kind of our boundaries," and and we're, but it can't be rigid. It just can't be rigid the way it used to be in the past, especially with the younger generations coming up because they value. I mean, I'm sure it's true for you, like way more than when I, when I was growing up, you went to a company, um, you know, my dad worked at the same company all his life. And, and those days are long, long gone. But unfortunately, the management style hasn't changed uh, to meet the times. And it's so critical in this day and age that, you know, we give people a place where they want to be, where they feel like they have some ownership in what's going on. And, and when I do that, I mean, think about the companies that do it so well, Starbucks or Costco, you know, these companies that, you know, I've been going to co- the same Costco for years and years and years, and I still see people that I saw there at day one. It's not because it's the most rewarding work in the world, but it's because somehow Costco has figured out how to treat their people with respect and with dignity, how to give them those boundaries, um, to work with them, but not being so rigid that, that, you know, uh, I feel like I, I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not at my work. You make a good point in terms of, um, being your authentic self, right? Cause people still have that notion that there's that work version of yourself and then there's the yeah. personal life right but it, it yep. does get draining that you have to be someone you're not at work in order to like get along with people and then you have your personal life where you can be yourself right but it, as i said just said it, it does get tiring trying to be two different people daily well and and isn't that a cultural story i mean look business and pleasure they shouldn't mix oh my god are you kidding me why not why not are we saying that as as leaders that you should be best friends with your employees no but can't it be, can't I create an environment where people enjoy being together? Can't I do things like have a picnic for the staff and, and their families on a somewhat regular basis? Even if it's, even if it's a bring your own and, and we'll, we'll just spend some time together. You know, there's so many little things. One of the things that fascinates me about being authentic is it's all the little stuff. You said it earlier, those fundamentals those fundamentals of just basic being good, good to be with, good to be with each other and, and, and finding value in each other. And, you know, I mean, one of the things I think we've really 
lost sight of is this idea of spending time socially where people can get to know each other outside of work. God, think about the stories that people carry about each other, whether they're employee to employee or not. Oh man, Jim, have you seen him? Then I go to lunch at a picnic and Jim is this great guy. I was like, oh my God, he's not who I thought he was at all. (laughs) So we need that. We need that more than ever, more than ever. Yeah. And to add to what you discussed before, right? Uh, It's about appreciation because companies think that they can throw external perks such as uh, maybe beer Fridays or breakfast for, for free uh, every yep. morning or something like that. But at the end of the day, like those are external benefits that might give the oh wow the first month someone's at the company. But again, if you're not getting along with the people you're working with, like none of that really matters at the end of the day. It's so true, and and this is a tough one for for management. You know, if we have so much fear about employees. We've created so many rules to try and control employees. And what happens is, you know, the more you resist who you think you should be or how people should be in your organization, if I'm creating rules that, you know, box people in, they're going to do by default because they don't know any better and rightfully so they're going to, they're going to push against those rules. And so the question becomes, how do I have a healthy and what how do we define healthy like for me a healthy workplace is someplace where i don't have to be that different person at work and uh, than i am at home i should be able to be who i am no matter where i am and that may mean you may need to go to a business that's more suited to your personality or whatever the case may be but in general there's so much we can do to help employees to be who they are, and when they are able to act in a way that feels authentic to them, like I said, there's meaning, there's passion, there's better work, there's more collaborative work, there's excitement about what they're doing, and that is really up to management to to carry that torch because, you know, the other side of this story is, you know, a lot of employees, probably the majority of employees in the United States walk in to any new bit, new job, being nervous and fearful about, uh-oh, I hope this goes well. I hope the guy's nice, you know, that sort of thing. So, so it, it's on both sides. And that's one of the things that I think is really important for people to understand. Like this, this is why an employee can have such a, a fabulous impact on the people around him just by being more authentic, by taking that time to tell a more authentic story, to be curious about what the boss is thinking or what, you know, Jim over in finance was doing when he did whatever he did, that kind of thing. Like be curious. And, and that's where solutions happen. Absolutely. And again, like onboarding is very important. It makes a good lasting impression for that new team member, right? Because I get what you're saying where you you get hired, you're excited, and then you're thinking, okay, I hope this goes well because uh, my last company, I I didn't get along with my colleagues or manager, right? So they're praying that this is the answer. Uh, so yep. it's so important to have an onboarding process that welcomes them and warms them up to the company culture that they're going to enter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and recognizing as management and leadership that even after a good onboarding, I still have to have people that are helping. I need my managers and my leaders to continue to help my people to not have to be in a place of fear where they are open, where they know that they can talk frankly, be open about, you know, how they're feeling. When I create that environment for employees, 
boy, oh boy, the engagement levels go way, way up. Exactly. And just to add to what you said before about like, in, in the olden days, you would choose a company and then you would stay there till you retire, right? Obviously, those days are gone. And yep. you can also see that with the bigger companies, like they are able to get new grads coming in, but a lot of them end up leaving after a few years to find something better. So like the brand name does help at the beginning, but you still need that good company culture to make them stick around for the longer than the average tenure, which I think is under five years now, right? Oh, yeah, way under that. And, and you know, that's part of the problem is I think a lot of management and leadership feels like culture is just something that I, you know, I just do this, this, and this, and then it works. And and it's not. It has to be me being real and authentic with my employees and, and helping them to understand that I'm here and this goes back to servant leadership, doesn't it? Where I'm here to serve you so you can do the best job you can and we can together create something that's so much bigger than the sum of our parts. So you're in your 60s, right? Yes, 61. 61, okay. So you've had a long career. So from your career working with multiple t companies, I'm assuming, what mm -hmm. was the company culture that stuck out with you the most, where you felt uh, welcome, you felt like you were making a difference and you had purpose in your work? Uh, <laughs> I'd have to say the company that I created, um, where I was adamant about having people that I worked with that enjoyed being there. I had a, a woman that left uh, the company uh, a number of years ago for a, a better position. And and I've always been open about, look, if you think that you need to leave and you leave gracefully and you've been a good employee, the door is always open. And, you know, she practically in tears about making this decision. And so I guess the answer is for me was creating, and this is what I was able to do, was to create an environment which was with primarily with independent contractors in an online marketing firm. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I said to every new person that we brought on, like almost verbatim was, Re Max, really glad to have you aboard. I want you to know that I want to do everything that I can to support you professionally and personally. Don't know what that will look like for you, but I want you to know that I'm here for both your professional side and personal. I want you to know that if you ever decide to leave the company that I won't be angry with you. And if you've done a good job, that I'll always welcome you back. And I also want you to know that if for some reason we feel that this isn't a fit, uh, the fit seems to be going sideways, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to address it up front. Hey, Max, you know what? feel like we're getting a little off on, on where we're headed and and I think we need to take a look at it. Then we'll try our best to solve it. And if we can't solve it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you go just as quickly as I can. And the reason is I want a business where everybody enjoys working with each other. Doesn't mean you have to like each other all the time and that sort of thing. This isn't fluffy, but I want a business where people don't come to me saying, oh my God, did you see what Jim did? And, and Jim keeps doing it. And we can't change him. And the thing that fascinated me about that talk, um, I never had one person go, wow, that sucks. <laughs> like when you talk to people that way, and you're authentic about what you're saying, 
every person that I had that talk with was like, wow, like what a great way to frame this up. So you're all about a healthy organization, an organization that's making money, an organization where the people enjoy working with each other, where they feel they have ownership on what they're doing. And in the first year of the business, uh, I opened in 2003, I think we let go of five people out of maybe eight or 10. I, I mean, I was adamant about it. And it was, and nine out of 10 times, the partings were amicable, right? I think I had one guy who just wasn't going to get it no matter what we said. And he was just, he was pretty pissed off about it. And, and I was sorry about that. But the other people that left, um, it was just agreed that it wasn't a good fit and that was okay. So, uh, yeah. So my answer is the company that I, that I built in, in early 2000s, mid 2000s. So you, you really go with the saying, if you can't find what you're looking for, create it yourself. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, and, and, you know, I mean, for me, the reason I started the business that I, that I did at the time was just because, why did I start that? I had been at another company, I'd been in a corporate environment and, um, and I just, it wasn't a good fit for me. And I had been in business for myself before, and I really enjoyed the process of managing people. For me, I don't really care what the product is. I like helping to keep people moving in the same direction and on the same page and that sort of thing. So for me, it was because I really wanted that badly at the time. And, um, and so yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right, but I also don't want this to be, you know, for your audience, something where they're like, well, just go make something of my own. If it works for you, by all means, but if you're like, you know what, I like where I'm at, but it could be a little better. You know, these three, these three questions will drive you in that direction in a pretty big way and then help you to make better decisions as a result, whether you should stay, go, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And just to go back to what you said about like quitting, right? Like people feel guilty of quitting. And when the hiring manager asked this question, right, where do you see yourself in five years, right? Like it's one of those loaded questions where they want, they're kind of expecting you to stay for a certain period of time. But again, like we know that 10 years are less than five years, right? On average. So I think it's more about like being, like, I'll help you the best I can while you're here. If you have to go somewhere else to grow your career, that's fine. But while you're here, I'll do my best to help support you, right? Like that should be the right mindset, not trying to like hire them and make them stay as long as possible. That's uh, that's certainly my approach. I mean, look, if, if what I do is I say, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to help you to grow. And if you outgrow this or you find something better and I want you to know that it's never going to I'm never going to come at you and say, what you know, how could you throw all this work we've done together away and all that garbage? All of that stuff doesn't serve me. And it's all that's more about uh, me trying to protect myself as a, a, an owner, or a manager than it is about that person. If I want to be able to look back at any time, regardless of when that employee leaves and be able to say, boy, oh boy, did we do some great stuff together. I mean, think about how much better that is for an employee. You know, when that's, when that's your stance, you're going to have such a healthy organization and such a better place to be. Um, but you're right, man, we get so stuck in, well, you know, let's get the most out of them. And, you know, it becomes transactional. And when you're transactional is all above the line. It's, you know, this is what can I get out of this person? And, you know, what's it going to cost me and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know what, if that's what you want to manage. Uh, I'm not the guy you should be talking to. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that's why a lot of these uh, salespeople on LinkedIn fail, right? Because they pitch right away after they connect, right? It, it, like, Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's because building relationships is not transactional. It's building relationships. It's a relationship, right? It's not a transactional. It's not a transaction. And you can't hide it. Like you can't hide. I, I you know, I'm on Facebook a lot these days promoting this, and man, it is so funny. I can smell it a mile away when somebody's about to pitch me, and I don't mind being pitched, but but you know. <laughs> hi chris how are you hey what's up and, <laughs> and i'm like okay i'm on the defense i'm ready to i'm bracing myself for for what's coming uh, because that's very very common and yet you know saying up front hey i'd love to chat with you about something and tell me a little bit more about how you're doing i mean to just ease up with it a little bit right lighten it up a little bit is going to go a long way on linkedin or facebook or any of those tools yeah i i, I can smell it my way too right so if someone says hey max how's it going or hey max i really love your content on linkedin and then i say great thanks i'm waiting for something right and then yep. they end up like giving me the pitch what i was expecting right and yep. it goes back to what we discussed earlier right in terms of how Managers are micromanaging, even though they know it doesn't work, but they do it anyway. Same thing with this, right? Like they pitch right away, even though they know it doesn't work, which, which again, just makes no sense why people still do what they're doing, even though there's been studies and experiences that show that this tactic does not work. Well, and, and that's the thing. The other thing is that, you know, it, it, the reason that we get our hackles up is that we, we feel like something's coming instead of just saying, hey, you know, look, if I said on LinkedIn, hey, it's great to meet you. I do online marketing. I do some really fun stuff. If you ever want to chat about it, I'd, I'd be more than happy to, to talk with you. Like that is so refreshing compared to this little end run that people have a tendency to do that doesn't serve them, that puts somebody on the, defen the defensive right away. And then, you know, if what I can do is follow that, that comment up with some interesting stuff, you know, this is the old 80-20 uh, rule, you know, give them 80% good, valuable information, something that, that is of interest to them. And then the, the other 20%, by all means, pitch, but earn that right. And if you're going to do it, the first pitch, be straight up about it. Don't end run it. Don't pretend that you're doing something that you're not. Look, I want you to know when I'm on LinkedIn, I'm here to, to generate business and I want to help you. Let me know what I can do to, to get you to know, like, and trust me without saying it quite that way. Right? Yes. And let's summarize it right now. So if someone is listening right now, and again, you talked about your three questions in the model. How can someone use this right now? And what are some steps that they should take after they answer those questions? Great, great question. First of all, if you walk away with nothing else, what I'd like you to do is remember this. Please, please take the stance that your life is practiced from here on out. It's practice. It's not about where I am and getting to that perfect place down the road. Let's practice to be a better version of ourselves all the time. Number one. Number two, think about how do I increase that space between stimulus and response, especially in the areas where I'm cranky or I'm triggered? What can I do to take a breath and not respond right away? And then the third thing is to just kind of use those questions. What's the story I'm telling? Like, what is it? And why am I telling the story? Is it serving me in this moment? Oh my God, no, it's not. Okay, let's get curious and let's find 
solution-oriented stories that are authentic and they're going to help me to move forward. And if I'm a manager or an, an individual contributor or a leader, to do it in a way where the people that I'm working with feel appreciated, feel like they're moving in the direction that they we're all moving in the direction that serves us all. Um, I just think it's so critical that those it's practice, you know, create that space between stimulus and response, ask the three questions, and then check out uh, the full model over at my website or the stories we tell.com. And, and you can always just anytime look and say, okay, where am I in this model? And, and it's pretty clear where you want to be if you're not there. Yeah, I'll definitely put the website in my show notes. And I want to end this podcast episode with one last question for you. So my podcast, as you're aware, is about interviewing experts like yourself, providing career advice for professionals that currently have a career challenge that they're trying to overcome. So in your career, what was one of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome? What were the steps that you took to overcome it to make you who you are today? The story that comes to mind was I was working for a, a large um, insurance and financial company. I got a job. I had been a computer consultant as an independent contractor for the company and then got hired to be a marketing consultant. And I found out that I was being grossly underpaid compared to my my coworkers in the same position. And I really dressed down my boss one day. I was like, you know, this is not right. This is, and I, I had a bad attitude. And uh, one of my coworkers came up to me and he said, you know what, Chris, you were really unreasonable the way that you handled that. And, you know, to, for him to have, it wasn't, he wasn't a jerk about it. He just was, it was state and fact. And I was so grateful to Dennis for having the courage to tell me that. And then I went to John, the boss, and said, John, I want to apologize. That really wasn't called for. And, you know, I'd like to be paid better. And anything that you can do to help me with that, I'd appreciate. And uh, that really was a big one for me. I, you know, being on the negative side of things can be a real learning experience if we look at it authentically, can it? Yeah, exactly. Again, if you don't like something, there's there's a way to do it diplomatically, like not just go into your boss and start like handling aggressively, right? Yep. That was a little me response, the first part. And then the the second part with Dennis helping me to understand what I had done and me apologizing to John were both uh, definitely from an authentic place. And that's a whole lot better place to be. Absolutely. So again, I really appreciate the time that you took today to discuss your three question model and sharing some of your insights in the world of work. So how can people connect with you to learn more about what you do, as well as to visualize the model so they can apply to their uh, life? There's a few things. I'm going to send you uh, my link tree, which has uh, my website, ohthestorieswetell.com, and my links to Facebook, which is at ohthestorieswetell and Instagram at oh, the stories we tell. I'm relatively new in the social media aspect of this in terms of promoting this. So you can reach me directly on any of those three platforms. I'd also really appreciate it if you would go to YouTube, do a search for oh, the stories we tell, and up will come a little thought bubble in blue with oh, the stories we tell in orange written in the middle of it. Click on that 
please subscribe because I need to get to 100 so I can have a vanity URL. And then go look at the Honesty Project. It's a project that a friend of mine and I have been working on together where she came to me after a number of years after hearing the model, me describe the model to her. She said, you know, I've had some rough stuff over the years and I'd love to just have you kind of help me figure this stuff out. And so it's our conversations just about issues, whether it's coworkers that are frustrating or, you know, an interpersonal situation. It's a great way to practice. And you know what? Practice, practice, practice. I'm also happy to consult with businesses and individuals who are trying to make more sense out of this. But those are the three main ways with with YouTube and so forth. Great, Chris. Again, I appreciate the time and enjoy the rest of your year. Thank you so much, Max. Thank you for having me. I sure appreciate it. Thank you again to Chris for coming on my podcast and sharing his three-question model framework in order to help you make better decisions in 2022 and beyond. If you want to hear my personal insights based on themes discussed in this episode, then make sure to check out ChanCap this coming Friday, which will be available on all popular podcast platforms. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Again, if you are a professional looking to land their next job opportunity or looking for some career guidance to help grow their career to the levels that they want, then definitely join my private Facebook group, Career Advice with Chan with the Plan, where I post daily content focusing on job search tips and career advice to help you get to the next level. The link to the Facebook group will be in the show notes to help make it easier for you to find the group and request to join. Again, this is Chan with the Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan. And I thank you for listening.